your Bibles and open up to Luke 12, verse 49. This is our sixth week in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, okay? One chapter takes six weeks. We started in March, okay? What month is it now? May, okay, so March, April, May, there was some Easter, some Good Friday, I took a vacation one Sunday, and Rory taught, so there's a few missing Sundays. It's taken six weeks, though, in Luke chapter 12, because of the importance, I believe, of what Jesus is underscoring to his listeners, and maybe without stress, but a franticness in his eyes, or should I say better, an intensity, Jesus is telling his listeners what they need to hear in order to be prepared for what's next. You ever had a teacher maybe in high school or in middle school just so oh, oh, excited and you just want to listen to everything they say? Everyone just say no. <laughs> you know, not high school was. <laughs> no, not at all. But you have had people, coaches, teachers, counselors, friends, who want you to see what they see. Do, do you not? They, they, oh, man, do, oh, and they want you to see it. You're like, I don't, I don't see it yet. And well, let me just give you a few illustrations and pictures. And Jesus breaks it down in so many different illustrations and pictures in order that we would see it. And I want you to, a couple things, I want you to see it. But you kind of have to want to see it first, okay? I've told the story before, but years ago, back in 2009 or 8 or something like that, I had some marks on my skin I didn't like. I didn't know what they were, and so I had my wife schedule a appointment with a dermatologist, you know, and I said, make sure it's a dude, because I'm not trying to get, you know, uh, unclothed with a, with a gal, you know, and so my wife found Dr. Terry Martin or something like that, you know, in Medford, and I showed up at seven in the morning, you know, getting my dermatologist appointment, and I've got the robe on with nothing else on, you know, the robe on, and, and I'm reading the plaques on the wall, Dr. Terry Martin, you know, and Dr. Terry this did that, and Dr. Terry, and, and then I saw one that said, Miss Terry did this, I was like, Miss Terry? You know, like, and then I started looking at the, you know, you got, it was a, it was a the female, no big deal. You know, but it was just funny to me. I was like, right on, right on, we're doing it, you know, and, and Terry comes waltzing in. It was so funny. Terry, she was super professional. She was awesome, did her job great. And she brought in her assistant, this college girl also, you know, and they're there and talking and, and I'm just sitting there going, hey, just check, just finish the job, you know, and, and I remember having this, 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 this experience, and then it came up, what do you do for a living? I was like, I'm a pastor, and this college girl's like, I'm, I'm getting married, would you do my wedding? And I'm like, yeah, this is perfect, just put it in my calendar, you know, we'll do it, and we'll do our premarital counseling right now, you know. And, and Terry asked a few questions, you know, have you ever lived in California? No, okay, well, you know, and she, she said, everything looks good. Everything's great. All your moles, are, they're all in the same family. They all belong. There's no contradictions except for this one. And she pointed at the top of my foot. She said, there's one that I, I, I don't like it. It, looks, it just doesn't fit. It doesn't match the rest of the family. It's not supposed to be here. What do you want to do? We could measure. She gave me a few options. We could measure it and come back in six months and check it out again and see what it does. Or we could just cut that bad boy off, send it in, and see what we got to do. And I said, why would we, why would we measure it? Okay, you know, you cut it off. Do you want me to cut it off for you, Terry? You know, and... If you've ever had a mole cut off, it's really cool. They inject your skin with something. I'm not, and it like comes into a mountain. It kind of just becomes st stiff and hard and comes kind of up like that. And then they take a, a razor blade, like from the dollar store, you know, and they, they go in there and just cut that bad boy off and throw it in a jar, you know, and throw it out the window. Somebody catches it and takes it somewhere. And long story short, it was all fine. Came back, whatever. It's just a normal mole. You know, I don't got it anymore. It's gone, though. And the point is, when you go to a doctor, when you go to a doctor, you, you're, you're prepared for anything, are you not? You're like, give it to me. Whatever you got. You want me to kick all my... You want to, get, you want to see everything? That's what we're doing? Okay, that's what we're doing. Because you don't... You want to know. You're in that vulnerable situation where tell me what you see, doc. 
I need to know, because if there's something scary, let's deal with it. Nobody in here wants a doctor to say, I'm going to give you half the news, just half, because I don't want to mess with you. I know you've got plans later this afternoon. I know not this... I'm not going to tell you what the chart really says. No, you say, you tell me exactly what the chart says. You give me a copy of it in 3D, and I'm going to go find five other doctors that agree. I'm not afraid. I'm doing this. I want you to have that same kind of attitude today. As we finish Luke 12, Jesus says some things that are true, but they might be offensive to you. They are true, but it might not be comfortable for you. They are true. Most of you have experienced exactly what he says but we don't like it. We wish it weren't that way, but that's still true. And if you're like me, when you go to the doctor, it's like, I don't care if I don't like it. I'd rather have the truth rather than lies. You know, you don't go to the doctor and say, just tell me a bunch of lies because I'm, you know, I'm not trying to mess with my day. As a matter of fact, I think that's called malpractice. They have to tell you the, tr the truth. And so what Jesus says here, and I'm going to teach it in a way that I want you to understand, but I want you to lean in and say, okay, if that's the truth, then I need to figure out what to do. Do we watch it? Do we just see what happens? Or do we deal with it right now? Do we get the answers we're looking for right now? And I've had more than one thing cut off of my body and sent in. I had another thing on my knee a couple years ago in Corvallis, and the doctor said the same thing. You want to just measure it and watch it? And I said, why? Cut it up, dude. Let's, get, let's, let's fast track this thing. Let's get the answers, man. And that would be my heart for you this morning. So I'm going to read to you what Jesus says. And then we're going to circle back and preach it. So here's what he said, verse 49. Right in the middle of the sermon, this is right in the middle of Jesus talking to people that need to hear this. He said, I came to send fire on the earth. Whoa. And now I wish it were already kindled. He's fired up. But I have a baptism to be baptized with. I've got stuff to do first. And how I am distressed. How distressed I am still until it is accomplished. Verse 51. Yes, a question. You suppose that I came to give peace on earth? It's actually a good question. They were thinking that. Like, hey, what do, you, what do you think I'm here for? Do you think I'm here just to condone what you're doing? See, every single person in the world right now, if you're honest, wants peace. Like somewhere deep within their heart. I want peace. But every single person, listen, wants peace without change. You don't need to change anything, though. You can be you. You can believe everything you believe. I'll be me and be everything I believe, and we'll just have peace. Okay, tell that to a cat and a dog. Can't you guys just get along? Tell that to brothers and sisters, young, you know. Tell them, hey, just be, just have fun. It's like, no, no, no. Jesus says, do you think I'm just going to say, you're all good, coexist? Which is what the humanistic mindset of the day says. And Jesus says, that's not how it works. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Do you think, verse 51, I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, no, no, not at all, but rather division. Now stop right there, eyes up here. When you read this the first time, you're like, whoa, Jesus is bringing fire. Jesus is bringing division. Jesus is not bringing peace. Like, whoa, those fighting words. I need you to understand that Jesus is saying, this is how it's going to be. Not that this is how I want it to be, but this is how it's going to be. When I come and plant my kingdom, it's going to divide. It's just the way it is. When I come and plant my person in you, it's going to light you up. You're going to be on fire. It's just the way it is. When I come, if you think I'm going to bring peace to everyone... You've been drinking your bath water. It will bring peace to you. You indeed will experience that fire within. It's going to be awesome. But Jesus here knows something that we need to be very aware of. When Jesus shows up to a person, to a family, to a community, to a nation, that family, that person, that community, that nation becomes very different than the rest of the opposing world. And it becomes something that we have to be aware of in order that we would know how to move forward in. Look what Jesus says. 
Verse 52. He says, For from now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two, two against three. Father will be divided against son. Son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against everybody. I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that. That's not what it says. Not what it says. It's not even funny. I can't believe you guys laughed at that. It's horrible. It's horrible. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He said there's going to be division. And I love the listing here. He actually, it's all over the place. There's no way you can formulate it. It's, you know, guys against girls. No, it's, you know, parents against kids. No, it's, it's all over. Three against two, two against three. When, when Jesus comes into your heart, okay, it's not just that you decided to become a Democrat or a Republican or a vegan, or, or, or a Bears fan. You know, I'm just going to become a Bears fan. No big deal, you know. So it's not like that. When Jesus comes into your heart, there's an instant divide. As a matter of fact, two ways, unless you tune me out right now. There's an instant divide. There's a divide between the haters, the ones that, oh, you're a Bears fan? Okay, I can deal with that. Oh, you're a Christian? Oh, man. And there's a divide. It's just the way it is. But there's also a divide within the Christian between that person and the world. The way you now view the world and what it offers and says is okay. There's a division between you. And when I got saved and gave my life fully to Jesus at age 20, everything around me divided. There was a divide between me and the haters, the ones that liked the old Luke Frechette, the thugging, drugging guy that they had come to enjoy. And all of a sudden, I didn't want to do that. And there was a divide. And there was also a divide between me and the thugging, drugging Luke Frechette that I had once been. And I had to view everything about me differently now that I'm a Christian. And there's a, Jesus said, I came to bring division. And it's a healthy division. It's a separation, if you would, that you and I would be different. He goes on to say this, verse 54. He illustrates it now. Then he said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, which in Newport is every single day, <laughs> immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, well, there will be hot weather. And it never happens in Newport, but, uh, and there is. Hypocrites, verse 56. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern the time? Jesus says, you guys are able to tell what's going on tomorrow. You, you can tell the weather. You can see it happen. You can predict the immediate future, but you haven't taken into account the permanent future. This is his case that he brings to those who were there examining him in that doctor's room, in the sayings that Jesus was bringing. And Jesus was trying to get them to prepare for eternity, not just for tomorrow. Using their, how many of you guys have a weather app on your phone? When you bought your phone, it came with a weather app, did it not? You didn't even have to choose it. You have to go to the app store to choose the other ones. If you want to play Fortnite, you know, or Minecraft or whatever, you want to get those apps. They know you want to know the weather. You and I are obsessively committed to knowing the immediate future. How many of you guys knew that this Sunday, Mother's Day, May the 13th, was going to be like the nicest day in May? Like you saw that 10 days ago. Some of you guys have an 18-day forecast. Some of you guys know a scientist, and he told you like three weeks ago, you know, here it comes, it's going to reach 61. Better buy a lighter jacket, you know. <laughs> we love it. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. 
It's easy. You know, you can discern. But you're not, you're not hip- hypocrites. You're so concerned. It's going to be warm or hot or cold or wet. But you're not taking into account such a, a much more weighty thing of where you're going to spend eternity. He goes on to say this. Verse 50, these are illustrations he uses, again, to, to help us get this. He says, yes. And, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? You guys know what's right is what he's saying. Verse 58. When you go with your adversary, that's somebody you've offended, to the magistrate, that's the judge, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to that judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there until you have paid every last mite. Jesus uses this last illustration here in, in, in this chapter, and the, t- the teaching continues. We'll study it next week. Jesus continues to bring this word of thought to these seekers that have presented themselves to the great physician. You guys can discern the time. Make, make plans for the ever. You know what's right, he says. When you get in trouble and you're with your accuser and you're on your way to court, you know where you need to fix it? Before you get to court. That's a good job. Did you settle out of court? Yeah, we settled out of court. Well, you know, because if you go to court, you're guilty. All of us are guilty, every single one of us. We've all offended a perfect God. He says, you don't want to have your day in court. You you don't want to do it. If you can settle out of court, that's what Jesus offers, by the way. Jesus says, I can go before you, and I can pay for your offenses, and when you go then to the court, you're going to be issued a forgiven sentence. I've taken all of it for you. And Jesus is advocating for a belief put in him and an examination of the lamb. You guys know that in a few days, uh, months, two or three months, Jesus would get to Jerusalem and they would examine him, that lamb. We just sang that song, the lamb has overcome. The lamb has overcome. The lamb is such a weird way. If you're not a Christian here, you're like, I didn't know you guys were having lamb on Mother's Day, you know. Cool. You know, no. A lamb was a sacrifice that was given to the priest, and it had to be a perfect lamb. You couldn't give him a broken lamb. You couldn't give him a lamb with a bum leg. Every year you would go there, you couldn't give him your sick lamb. Like, oh, get that sick lamb. Let's get rid of him, you know. You would bring the lamb early, and the priest would examine it. And they'd say, okay, this is actually a legit lamb. It's spotless. It's perfect. Ceremonially clean. It's acceptable. And Jesus would present himself in just a few months to the priest there in Jerusalem, and they would examine him. Before they killed Jesus, he would go through six separate examinations in under eight hours with blood flowing out of his face, beatings, pummelings as they examined him, trying to find any fault in him. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor at the time, would finally say, he's innocent. Guy's done nothing. Nothing wrong at all. Let's let him go. And the people would say, no, no, crucify him. And he would die. The Lamb of God. And so Jesus here, knowing what he would become, he says, I've got this passion inside of me. I need to be baptized. Remember that in verse 51, 52? He said, I've got to do this. The baptism he's referring to is the full immersion. That's what baptism means. Full immersion of the sacrifice that I came to give in order to pay for all this, in order to give a fire within you, in order to provide a purpose for the division that will come after you follow me in order that you would know not just what the weather's going to be, but where your eternity is going to be spent. And again, uh, this is so important because there's so many messages going out right now, are there not? So many messages, the, pa- the talking heads, powers of these political stuff, there's religious stuff, there's humanistic, atheistic stuff, there's, you know, everybody's got a message, that's what I believe, that's what I believe, and so Jesus has a very important message. When you go to the doctor, 
You can't just reach in the hat and say, let's just see what happens. Yeah, you, you're, you guys are smarter than that, aren't you? I want to know. Maybe you're here today studying this, wondering, wanting to know what the truth is. As a matter of fact, when Jesus taught this, he knew it would get him in trouble. And these are, these are troubling things. He knew it would get him killed. Jesus, the Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 12, was surrounded by so many people that they were stepping over each other, trying to get near to him. The temptation for a guy, normal guy, with that many people would be, let's not blow this. Let's say some things that make these people like us. Okay, let's, let's not offend them. Because in any group, there's three different types of people. There are followers. Those are the disciples. Then there are fans. Those are the ones that are just kind of caught up in the swag or the free coffee, you know. And, and then there's the foes, the ones that are there looking down their nose trying to take Jesus out. Here's my question for you. Are you a follower? Are you, are you truly a follower, a disciple of Jesus? Or are you just a fan? Man, South Beach are just so fun. It serves my need to socially commit to a group that's different than me. And I, I went to church and it makes my mom happy. She's not mad at me. You know, and I go, you know, or are you maybe even the smaller group, that foe group? You're just, you know, arms crossed. Jesus, whatever, dude. Guys, you know, no big deal. I do my own thing. And you're trying to take him down. Jesus was surrounded by those types of people right now when he said these things. Here's my question for you. Where, where are you? Is, is Jesus your savior, your Lord, and your friend? Or is he merely a socially acceptable way to spend your Sunday mornings? And it hasn't divided you yet. I know too many Christians that call themselves Christians, but there hasn't been a division yet. There hasn't been a separation from the world they're, 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 it's, you can't even see the lines. Like, there's, no, there's no difference. And let me say this right off the bat, lest you misunderstand me. I am not advocating for or lobbying for Christians to be mean, bullies, you know, picketers, protesters, rioters, stand on your soapbox with the bullhorn telling people to turn or burn, you know. Well, people totally hate me at work. Why? I'm yelling at them all day long. <laughs> Stop yelling at people. Stop it. You know. That's not what Jesus is saying. They're going to divide from you over. Where are you at today? And, and maybe, hopefully, you would repent of your sins and let Jesus save you. Because you, you have to pick a crowd. Just like you have to adjust for the weather tomorrow. You can't control it. You're going to submit to the weather. You guys ever check the weather so much trying to change it? How many of you guys have more than one app on your phone trying to change it? You're like, I don't like that weather. I've got like three weather apps. Because if I don't like one, I'll try the other one. What is that? Even if they're all wrong, it doesn't matter. Even if they're all, the weather here in Newport can change whenever it wants. And yet we find ourselves having to make a choice. Which, which crowd are you going to be in? And so Jesus gives us this word. And he wants us to not just plan for the immediate future, but for eternity. Because here's the cold hard truth. Every single one of us are going to die. We're all going to die. And we all like to have our plans for the immediate. You know, some of you guys have reservations right now at Clearwater, you know. Yeah, Mother's Day, or you're going to go to Georgie's. And there's just, you guys already have your plans. Yeah. And I understand. But, but do you have a plan for after? Our brother Michael Granite had a plan. I'll be sharing on Saturday, along with Pastor Rory, about some of his final texts in his faith in the Lord. He had a plan. He wasn't afraid. 
And Jesus here has been speaking publicly on being ready privately. As a matter of fact, the last couple of verses, look at verse 48. This is the, the kind of segue verse. He says, but he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. He's talking about servanthood and that kind of system back then. Look at what he says, though. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Jesus is warning and exhorting to stay watching and ready and working until he returns. This was the message last week waiting for the return of Jesus. Here is that heard, you know, Jesus is coming, look busy, you know, and people talk about the return of Jesus. And really it's kind of an interesting belief system that we Christians have, that we believe that Jesus is coming soon. And yet he'd given us his word. And he says, guys, you know what it's going to look like before I return? It's going to be like the days of Noah. He gave us a bunch of hints. He said, it's going to be crazy. People are going to be doing crazy things. One of the craziest things Jesus said it's going to be like right before he returns is in Matthew 24, right around verse 22. He said, unless the days were shortened during that time, not one person on earth would survive the final war. Now let's just stop right there. Time out. What are you talking about? Not in the history of man has that been possible, that every single person would die due to war at the same time, whether it was through any kind of ruler we've had in the past until recently in the invention of the neutron bomb. Jesus said, unless I came back during that generation and in that era, nobody would even... Jesus is going to come back and interrupt the world wars. Jesus is going to come back and save us from obliterating ourselves. And if you have any kind of political mind to read a newspaper in one hand and read the Bible in the other hand, you know, you, know, you see Russia and China and the Middle East, it's all, it's all, you know. If I do that too much, I'll lose something, so I'm not going to do that anymore. And Jesus wants us to be ready watching and looking at looking at the signs in the times and this is it's not that hard to watch really just wake up every day again you watch the weather you watch everything you watch the stocks if that's where you put your money at you watch your emails if you're expecting you watch 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 God's, I mean, you know and every day you wake up all right this could be the day this could be the day and that type of mentality will lead you to love and to serve to sacrifice to be joyful to be dedicated steadfast and faithful how do we do that? Look at verse 49. This is, I think, Jesus' point. I think he's excited when he says these verses. You could read it with a negative scowl on your face. I wouldn't. Let's read verse 49 with a smile on our face, okay? I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish you were already kindled, man, but I have a baptism to be baptized with. He knows that he has to go to the cross first. In other words, Jesus wants to get things fired up right now. He's so excited. He wants to get people knowing the truth right now, but he has to go to the cross first because their eyes were dimmed and blinded. They didn't see it, and he knew that. Look what Jesus says also. He says, I'm so distressed until it is accomplished. That word distressed literally means arrested. Jesus is so focused, I want to bring a fire. Now, some scholars, a minority group, think this fire is the cleansing fire of his you know, examination upon the earth. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think what Jesus is saying is, I want to give the fire of the Holy Spirit to those who would want it. I want to douse you with the flames of heaven in a way that would fire you up and ignite your life. Like in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended upon them like cloven tongues of fire. Have you ever seen somebody fired up about anything? Okay, that's the word we use all the time. And that guy's fired up, you know, whether it's a Seattle Seahawks fan and they won a game or something like that. Or, you know, or that are fired up. And Jesus says, that's what I want for you and for my believers. Look at verse 49. I came to send fire on the earth. Jesus wants you and I to be hot. He doesn't want us to be cold. And I'll tell you what, when Jesus speaks of fire, he's talking about a few things. Passion, zeal, 
okay? Fire. And the goal in our Christianity is to be bright and hot, burning. As a matter of fact, I got a text on Thursday from Troy Hart. He was asking a few questions. We were just going back and forth. You guys know Troy. He's one of the volunteers here and servants in our community. And he's had his life changed. Okay, the guy has been down and out, and now he is up and hot. And Jesus is using him. And he asked me a point-blank question. He said, how's your life going, Luke? I was like, why are you asking that, bro? You know, and so we were being vulnerable with each other, and we were talking about getting wore out and getting exhausted and staying hot. And he also confessed that the enemy would love to just dampen his fire. But he always prays, not today, enemy, not today. And I'll tell you what, you and I, that's our goal, is to stay hot for his kingdom. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says to one of uh, the churches there that he wished that they would either be hot or cold and not lukewarm. He wants them to be hot. And Jesus himself was hot when he came. His passion burned brightly. There was zeal. And Jesus, again, his energy, I can barely, I can barely contain this. This is what I want to do. And I guess my question, you don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you guys want to be hot for Jesus? You want to be on fire? You can, you can raise your hand, I suppose, if you want, but if you don't raise your hand, you're going to feel bad, you know. You sure you want to be hot? I mean, the other idea, I just want to be warm, you know. And I think some of you might think, be warm, lukewarm. And you'd have to ask yourself, why, why is that? Some of you might even go, I don't know, man, I'm all, I'm all jacked up. I'm super cold. I'm not even where I want to be. And I would just say this. Jesus here talks about the baptism that he has to undergo in order to bring that fire. And that baptism is his death, burial, and resurrection. Every day at South Beach, we meet on Sundays, we take communion to remember his death, burial, and resurrection. You don't just have to wait for Sundays to consider what Jesus did for you. If you consider your Savior who served your sins to death, who was able to pay for you and for me, if you consider him, you won't grow weary and discouraged in your own souls, the book of Hebrews tells us. You'll stay hot. Ask yourself right now, why am I not hot? Why am I just weirded out and just kind of lackadaisical? I'm more interested in the weather report than I am in eternity's report. What is the deal? I like the illustration of fire, by the way. Yeah, because how big can a fire get, like, really? Think about a fire. A fire is limitless as long as it has fuel. You keep adding fuel to a fire, it will never stop. The fire will never say, that's enough. We don't have enough fire left. If you just keep adding, a fire will burn as much as you feed it. And the same is true for you and I walk with Jesus. There really is no limit for you and I to be connected to him and on fire for him and serving alongside of him. There's a few things that will determine how bright your fire gets, though. And I believe Jesus wants us to consider that, that our passion would not grow dull. And I'll tell you, how many of you guys uh, grew up uh, camping or, you know, Cub Scouts, and you know how to light a fire? Like, you know, like, that's not a big deal. Not all of us did, okay? Some people, like, light a fire, like, oh, you got a Presto log? You got some of that, you know? Or you got a, some of that, you know, chemical stuff? You know, like, it, it, you know, you got to spray a thing on it. And listen, lighting a fire, there's a few elements that are required in order to get that fire to burn brightly. I'm going to list eight things if you're a note taker, okay, for your, for your Christians here that will help you to burn brighter or will indicate possibly why you have not been as hot as you have in the past. The first one is community. Okay, like I said, unless it's a presto log, you need a bunch of logs in order to have a real fire, not just one. You ever try to light one log on fire? That log is going to laugh at you, okay? It's not going to work. And in order to have a real fire, you have to have community. And most of you would agree that in your hottest times of your Christian journey, it's been in community with other people, like-minded individuals who are trying to get nearer to Jesus. 
And if you've wondered why you've grown cold, why you've kind of distanced yourself from the main flames, if you use the illustration of fire, take that log off of the other, fire, other logs and put it by itself. After a little bit of time, it'll grow cold. It'll begin to smoke. Not cigarettes necessarily, but I mean, it'll smoke, you know, it'll smoke and spill, you know, it'll start to not do what it was intended to do. And the reality is, if you want to grow nearer to Jesus and stay hot, it comes with community commitment one with another. The second thing you could put on your list for consideration later is scripture. Okay, this would be like kindling for your fire. Just stoke it. Reading the book. Memorizing verses, staying in the word. I had lunch or breakfast with a guy on uh, Thursday also, maybe Tuesday, possibly Wednesday, I can't remember. And uh, we had breakfast, and his life has not been perfect. Not by a long shot. And yet he's doing good for the last three months. He's got three months of where he wants to be. And he had a friend of his call him and say, you need to be reading the Bible. And he said, well, I don't really know what it says. I don't know how the Bible works, but I've been doing it. I've been reading, I said, that's a good friend telling you to read the Bible. He's been reading the Proverbs, reading the Psalms, reading it, stoking his fire. And if you are asking yourself, I'm not as hot as I used to be. How's your community? How's your scripture reading? The second thing is, how's your prayer life? Which is just talking to God, communicating throughout the day. James says, if you don't have, it's because you didn't ask, you didn't pray. You're not hot, probably not praying. Number four is worship. Okay, this is something we do all week long, by the way, worshiping the Lord. Uh, on Sundays, we all show worship here. We, on purpose, get good volunteers. On purpose, we get good instruments. On purpose, we spend money on good sound systems. On purpose, we pick good songs. On purpose, we have that set up for you so you would worship the Lord. I just ask you, are you hot for the Lord? Not really. Well, have you been worshiping during worship times? No? I don't sing. You know, oh, okay, well, maybe you should add that to your repertoire, singing to the Lord, worshiping him in that way. Just try it. Try it out. You'll see somebody who's singing, hands up, tears flowing. Man, that person's on fire. That person's on fire for the Lord, just singing, you know. <sighs> the next couple are uh, similar. Uh, fifth one is giving. If you wonder why you've grown cold, why you've grown heartless, why you're not as excited as you used to be, are you, are you giving? Are you a giving person or a taking person? This is actually a secret sauce to a real happy life. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. It's just the simple truth. And yet you and I live in a getting society. It's a consumer society. The more we get, you know, we just think it's going to be what we want. And you could get as much as you want. Just try it for the next week. Try and get as much as you want, and you'll be the most dissatisfied person at the end of the week, I guarantee you. Or you can try and give as much as you can. Just give as much as you possibly can this week. Find somebody to give or serve. That's the sixth thing is to serve. Find somebody to serve, and I promise you, you will be excited. You'll be cleansed. You'll be blessed. We're made not just to get, but to also serve. The seventh thing is obedience. Okay, you've heard the old saying before, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus except to trust and obey, to obey, to obey the Lord. Why am I not stoked right now? Why am I not fired up? Chances are there's some areas where you've compromised and disobeyed. And the eighth thing you could add to your fire to see it stoked is uh, evangelism or sharing, loving other people, non-believers. Okay, most of you work with non-believers, you're related to non-believers, you're surrounded by them, and God's put you there on purpose, to love them, to talk to them about the Lord, to, to let that fire flow from you to them, not because you want to be right and show that they're wrong, but because you want them to have what you have and to be blessed with how God has blessed you. Look at verse 51. He says, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. You know when you do this, it's going to cost you. 
this is important for you Christians here who have decided to burn bright, who want to walk with the zeal of the Lord. He says right away, it's not going to be awesome, okay, for everyone. It's right, but it's not awesome. Just like when you go to the doctor and they cut something off that wasn't supposed to be there, you're in one sense saying, that's awesome. That wasn't right, though. I'm glad you cut it off. We did something there different. We addressed it, and it has to be that way, but there will be a cost. I remember when I was in college, and I had walked away from the Lord and had lived that way, and when the Lord finally got a hold of my heart, and I gave my life back to Jesus, I had made so many friends in that, that rut of society, and I was a drug dealer, and I was an alcoholic, and I was a womanizer, and I, I was crazy. I was out of control, and then Jesus got a hold of my heart. Whoa. And I began to walk away from that world, and the division was not just within my heart, but from others towards me. I remember there was this one particular guy. His name's Eric Kies. Hopefully he's watching. And he was so mad that I became a Christian. And we would fight almost physically at these parties. Okay, I would go there, and I, we used to bring drugs and alcohol to parties, and I started bringing my New King James study Bible to, Bible, to Bible, you know, parties instead, trying to help people know Jesus. And oh, man, things got crazy. But I remember, and I tell this story quickly to move on. One particular day, I went to a party after I'd become a believer, say hi to my friends. And he said, Luke, I want to talk to you. Let's go. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I really was not looking forward to it. And we went outside on the porch, me and Eric Kies. And he looked at me and said, I want to tell you something. He said, I want to tell you that I actually respect all the decisions you've made and the pathway that you're living right now. And, he, he, and I, I was mind blown that that was his true heart of heart reaction, that he had actually believed what I believed, but didn't know how to find the off ramp from this cycle, from this system, and how to make those decisions. And I would encourage you who are believers here today that have made that decision to make Jesus your all in all, that people are watching you and your love for them and for Jesus. And even if it hurts, God is going to use it to impact the people around you. Jesus is a polarizing person. Jesus said, there's no way to get to heaven except through me. What? Jesus actually spoke about issues that nobody was willing or is willing to speak about, and he calls us to follow him, which will cause division. Jesus said, what do you think I'm coming here to do, just to say peace? Just to bless every single thing that's happening? No, I can't, I can't do that. There is a right and there is a wrong. And when I call you to follow me, there will be division. So if you gave your life to Jesus and you didn't experience that division, if there wasn't some sort of, what, maybe a breakup from a friend or a, a, a pushback from a, a companion, something, I wonder if you did actually follow the Lord. Again, Jesus isn't advocating for us to be bullies. He actually advocates for us to be love, okay, to, to serve, to sacrifice, to take the low road, to be humble. A couple ways that you're going to see this in your life, and I don't have time to develop it completely, but is criticism and ostracism. When you decide to follow the Lord, people will criticize you. They'll say negative things about you and maybe even to you. They'll ostracize you. You'll find yourself not getting invited to the party or not being part of the conversation. Things will happen. Hey, what's going on? Oh, we didn't want you to be here because you'd bring your Bible, you know. And I've had that happen. I've had that happen. And for most of us, this will be tolerable, okay? Some of you, this has been very, very difficult. When I was traveling in the Middle East uh, about 10 years ago, I saw this woman. She actually saw me, and she saw our bus and knew who we were. And, and she introduced herself, and I knew who she was by radio. I'd heard her story. 
And I said, oh, you're, wow. And I can't tell her story necessarily right now, but she had given her life to Jesus and had walked away from her previous faith. And when I saw her, I said, oh, no way. And I said, I heard your story on the radio. That was the end of our conversation. She said, oh, got to go. Turned around, left. Because in that environment, her hometown, where we were, no one knew. In, in America, where she had given the radio interview, it was known. But there, rejection. Can't, can't talk about that. I, I follow Jesus now. And I can't talk about that. In certain cultures, it's actually built into their theology, their doctrine, that if you become a Christian, they celebrate your death. They have a funeral for you. In certain cultures, they have what's known as an honor killing for people who become believers. Oh, you're a Christian now? All right, let's draw straws. Most of us here won't suffer that, okay? But these are our brothers and sisters. This is the reality. Jesus here said, I'm about to be baptized. That sounds cool. How's that going to go? Death for the things I'm saying? This is really serious. You guys are more concerned about the weather. Hypocrites. I can't believe you guys are... It's going to be hot tomorrow, Jesus. Let's talk about the weather, you know. How many times when you meet somebody, friend or foe or unfamiliar, you just talk about the weather? You guys talk, isn't it funny how we always talk about the weather? I guarantee you, watch today when you talk to somebody, the weather will come up. <laughs> it will. And tomorrow again and next week, the weather will come up. And people will ask you silly questions like this. Are you ready for spring? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't gone to Bymart yet. You know, I need to get some... Get some, get some starts and, you know, or when the winter comes, are you ready for winter? It's like, you know, there's nothing you can do. No one's going to sit there and say, are you ready for hell? <laughs> Whoa. Wow. You asked me, didn't you? You know, and Jesus here is advocating for a real conversation with the great physician. You don't go to the doctor with the, and not want the doc. You want that. You're smarter than that. When you call your your accountant, you want to know how much you have. You want to know what's going on. When you call anybody in charge of anything real important, you need to know what's happening. And there's certain people that we find ourselves that they don't want that flame. Jesus, I want you to be, I want you to be on fire. I want it to be real, substantial. I want it to be felt. And for some of you, you've been surrounded by people. Maybe you've even done this. That all they want is your flame to go lower. Just, man, just, you know what? I love you, but I don't love your Jesus. Can you leave Jesus out of the conversation? Can you just leave? And, and there's respect. I understand that. And again, we're not here to be bullies. But this is real. This is the issue. There's an urgency. Jesus talks about this division. I wish it weren't so, but it's red letter, and it's been proven. I've experienced it. Verse 54, he says, when you see a cloud rising out of the west, you say, shower's coming, and so it is. You guys know how this works. You know what's coming down the road, but I want you to not be hypocritical, and I want you to hear what's coming down the eternal road in order that you would find yourself prepared. You can tell him to come to the next service. I'll use the last illustration, verses 57 through 59, in closing. He says this. And why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? Just, just make it right. Verse 58. When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him. Lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there until you have paid every last minute, or every last might. 
using Jesus' illustration, imagine with me this situation. Let's say that you had committed a crime, a, a really bad one. And, and it wasn't even just a he said, she said. It was you did it. And it was bad. Embarrassing, painful, damnable. That was your case. And let's say that you were on your way to court, your proverbial day in court. And you hired the best lawyer you could find. And the lawyer looked at the evidence, and he looked at the case, and he looked at you, and you said, what can I do? And the lawyer says, nothing. You can go say, have mercy on me, and you can receive your sentencing. There is no way to fight this. And as you're awaiting your court date, this is your situation. It's all of our situation. We have all sinned. And let's say that in that time you get a letter from the person you've offended. And their name's at the top, and you're reading, oh, no. This is the, oh, and your, your heart sinks. Well, I, I can't, should I even read it? Should I even open it? And you open up that letter, and it's from the person you've offended. It starts out this way. I love you. I'm concerned for you. I, I know your court date is coming up. And based on the situation and the circumstances, it's, it's going to get, it's not going to go well for you. And, and I want to do everything we can before that day to reconcile our relationship. So when we go to, to the judge, we can have figured things out before then. And I, I want to care for you. And I, I believe that your future doesn't have to look like your past. I believe that we can make things right and we can get the help we need in order to find healing. And you're reading this letter from the person you've offended and Jesus says, that's what's happening now. I've sent you my letter. I'm here. You've offended me. I'm God. I'm good. You're not. And yet I give you an opportunity to reconcile with me. It's what I'm here for. It's what I'm doing. I, I care for your heart. That's all he wants to do is care for you for your temporary life and for your eternal dwelling. And Jesus says, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest you have to pay back every might. And really, this is the story of grace. And you might be sitting here saying, that doesn't make any sense. Might, you know. You're, you're, imagine if you're a debtor, you're, you're a debtor, you had credit card debt and you owed a bunch of debt. Imagine if you got a, you know, $100,000 in debt or, you know, half a million dollars in debt and your creditor sent you a letter saying, we're just, we're really concerned. Your interest is going up, you know, and we just, we're, we're going to send a team out there to help you through this. We're going to forgive all your debt just because we just, we, it's too much for you. All, all you got to do is, you know, meet us somewhere. <laughs> you, you would say this, that doesn't make sense. That, that actually doesn't make sense. And there's a biblical word that they actually had to invent to describe that kind of love. And the word is agape. In the old language of Greek, they had all kinds of different words for love. They had a love that you would use to express your love for hot dogs. I love hot dogs. They had a different word for love that you would express to say, I love my wife. There's, there's two different loves there. You guys know that, right? Just a little life hack there, a little life hack. You can love hot dogs and your wife differently. It's different. And when they wrote the Bible to describe God's love, they, they had to create a new word, agape. 
agape was that new word. And it was an unconditional, unearned, undeserved love. It was a love that surrounded everything, all the needs. There's no way to, you can't get it, you can't earn it, you can't negotiate it. You just need it. It wasn't a phileo love, like Philadelphia, the brotherly love, where it's mutual. You love me, I'll love you back. It's going to be fine. Agape is like, I love you. When you do not deserve it, you can't earn it, and you desperately need it. It's called grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. And this is what he offers to you and to me. This is his passion. Mel Gibson came out with his film, The Passion of the Christ. Jesus' passion to pay for the sins of the world. Why did he have to die on the cross and bleed and suffer and be maimed to death if that were not the only way? Doctor, cut it off. Let's deal with it. And Jesus, with his passion, dealt with your sins once and for all. I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes right now. We're going to pray, and the worship team's going to come up, and we're going to sing, and we're going to respond and take communion, and we're going to thank Jesus for what he's done for us and how he has given to us that pardon that we did not deserve, how he's given to us his passion and his zeal. And my prayer is that he would put a log on your fire today, that he would ignite that flame within, and it would begin to burn in your heart, and you would realize, I need Jesus today. I don't want to go through eternity without him. I know it's going to rain tomorrow. I'm bringing a jacket. Help me, Lord, to plan forever. And so, Lord, in Jesus' name, as all heads are bowed and eyes are closed right now, as we prepare to take communion, as we, Lord, end this time in your words, studying, Lord, Luke chapter 12, in light of all things, Jesus, we thank you that you are willing to shoot straight with us and not just come along and rub our backs and say, yeah, it's all good. You guys are doing great. You guys are doing great. I don't want to be told I'm doing great if I'm not doing great. I want, to, I want to be held to, to the truth. And Jesus, you have given to us your blood in order that we could be held to the truth in grace, that we could be forgiven of our sins, that we could have our lives changed by your sacrifice given to us. Even as we come to the table now, there's some juice and there's a cracker. These are elements that picture your blood and your body, which paid for that. I pray a blessing on the table as we examine ourselves and proclaim your death until you return. And if you're here this morning and you want to know that you know that you know that you have that peace between you and God, that you have been forgiven, that it has been eradicated, that the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all your sins, would you humble yourself right now and raise up your hand to him? I'm not looking. Your hand is going up to him. Yes, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me, Lord. I'm not perfect. I trust in you. Put your hand up right now if you choose to trust in him. Just trust in him. Don't trust in yourself, you. You can't do it. You can't do it. But Lord, we put our trust in you. We thank you for what you've done. And we pray, you can put your hands down. We pray, Lord, for all of us as we experience whatever the future has, whatever division, whatever weirdness, whatever pressure it is, Lord, may the joy of the Lord, may the fire of Jesus be ours. I pray for my brothers and my sisters here. Lord, I pray for myself. That, Lord, we would get fired up again. Just fired up simple it's just that simple every morning in my house i turn the fire on it just changes everything i love the fire love it i pray for my brothers and my sisters fire them up in jesus name fire me up lord forgive me where i've gotten cold where things have gotten weird we thank you jesus that this is your heart this is your passion that you are constrained to this end may we too lord be ignited on this day this sunday we thank you lord for all you've done in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen.